welcome to the Vine Church. We look forward to experiencing community with you. If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at thevinegoshen.org. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, my name is Travis. I'm the lead pastor here at The Vine. I want to welcome you if it's your first time. We're really glad you're here. Uh, I want to welcome you also if you're joining us online. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, so my, my wife, that was a pretty good word that she like was preaching, right? That was like really good. Jenica, I think I'm just going to have her come back up and... No, she, she, anyways. Uh, well, hey, I, I'm going to start. I have an announcement. Uh, we're, we're going to be shifting uh, something that uh, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to this shift because I think it's going to give us uh, kind of a new template for doing something here at the Vine that, that we've been wanting to do for a long time. Uh, and it, it kind of gives us a way of doing that. Um, and so it's our small groups. And so uh, we value small groups. Small groups have always been something that we've been uh, a part of for the duration of as long as we've been a church for the most part. And uh, we value them, but we're seeing in this moment, in this season, that, that they need a little bit of a shift to fit kind of what we're wanting to accomplish. And so uh, over this next small group season, here's what we are going to do. So we've decided that for a season, Season, we are going to uh, every Wednesday night at 6.30, starting on the 13th, so here in about two weeks, we're going to start doing this. Uh, we're going to meet here at the building, okay? And so it's going to be open to the whole church and anybody you want to invite. We're going to meet here, and some of you are like, well, what about youth group? Well, don't worry. We're going to still do youth group. But here's our plan. We're going to meet here for a meal first, so 6.30 is going to kick off a meal. We're going to eat together. Uh, and then we're going to break into groups. So our children, if you have young children, we're going to provide child care for your kids. Uh, and then for youth group, they're going to break off and they're going to go do youth group. And then all of the adults are going to gather in here for small group. Okay? And so you're like, well, that's, isn't that a big group? Well, yes, it's a big group. But here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to have tables set up throughout the, the, the space here. And so we're going to eat together. We're going to come in here and we're going to meet in table groups. And here's our goal. We want to provide a space where we can uh, connect and be friends together, where we can eat together because, you know, if you read like Acts, you kind of see they ate a lot of food together. So we're going to do that. And then also, we're going to learn together and, and like dive into some deep spaces in the Word of God, the Bible, and we're going to unpack some things that I think will just be helpful, uh, and we're going to do it in such a way that, that it, it, it's kind of a short teaching, and then we're going to break into our table groups, and we're going to talk about what we're learning. And so that's what we're going to do uh, for this round of small groups. And so you don't want to miss this because it's going to be something we're all a part of. We're all jumping into this. Uh, most of our leaders are going to be there. You're going to see, uh, I'll be there. You'll, you'll see most of the faces that you normally see on the stage are going to be present. And we're going to do this as a church aiming in the same direction together for the fall. And then after that, we'll probably do it another round, and it's kind of a test run to see. Is this, is this a really, do we like the way that this works? 
And so that's our plan, and I want to make you aware of it. So September 13th, uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to kick off at 6.30. Uh, but if you're a youth group kid, you can still come. Uh, if you have small kids, they can come, and we will have childcare. Uh, so we good? Awesome. Let me pray. Jesus, we just thank you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for what you're doing here in this body, in this church. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak to us this morning? Lord, would you take the things that we look at in, in the Bible and we start to kind of dissect and unpack a little bit, Lord, that, that you would just stir something new in our hearts. Lord, that you would speak directly to our hearts, directly to our minds, and you would help us grow, you would help us um, take a, a, a challenging step forward, and that you would help us apply these things to our lives, because they're useful, and they're good. In your name we pray, amen. Well, last week we started a conversation uh, about some of the tools that God has given us to battle through things like depression and anxiety and just the overall kind of ups and downs we may encounter living life in a turbulent world. And so today is like a part two of that conversation. But last week we talked about tools like the belt of truth, the breastplate or body armor of righteousness, and the shoes of peace that come from the good news of Jesus. And these are all known as the armor of God. And if you missed last week's message, I would highly, highly encourage you to go back and listen to it because there's going to be some blanks that maybe get filled in uh, to give you kind of a holistic view of what we're talking about. So today is part two uh, of this idea of the armor of God. And this week, we're going to talk about three pieces of armor, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. So... Let's take a look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a second to get there. Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing a letter to the Ephesians. And he writes this. In verse 10, he says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. I like that. After the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I said this last week, but as we look at this passage, there's a couple of things that it's helpful to kind of have in the back of our minds as we look at this. And so the first is this. 
When this was written, the Apostle Paul would have likely taken great care to choose his words carefully with the goal of like communicating with as few words as possible, yet painting the biggest picture possible. So there's a lot packed into this small passage. The second thing that we see, and and it's helpful for us to kind of keep in the background, is the picture we are given has some military language within the text. Because this armor would have been primarily seen on a Roman soldier, okay? And so there's some military language being used here. And then lastly, we we should pay careful attention to what body part each piece of armor protects. And ask the question, what is the greater meaning here? But that's what we talked about last week. I want to add a fourth thing. Many of us, when we read a passage like this, or when we go through life in general, like it's easy for us to get into the mindset like, I don't know if these guys understand what I'm going through. I don't know if they quite get it. Like, well, don't we live in a different world today? Like, isn't it different today than it was then? Like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't understand the struggles that I face today. And listen, it is true that there are some things that are different today. Like, they didn't have maybe electricity uh, or, or quite the same kind of plumbing we get to enjoy in our houses today, right? But just because there's some differences doesn't mean that they don't get it. And, and if, we're, if we're not careful, we could read a text like this and we could, we could kind of convince ourselves that we're a victim of just life in general. Like life is just kind of happening to us. And so I want to also have in the back of our minds this idea that actually when the Apostle Paul wrote this, he, he kind of gets it. He gets what you and I are probably going to face in our life. Maybe not all the little nuances exactly the same, but, but he gets the general concept of your struggles and other people's struggles. Because as turbulent as things are right now in our world, this is not original to us. Did you know that? Like your struggles, they're not original to you. Other people have probably struggled with similar things. So if you're like convincing yourself in some way, I'm the only one that struggles with fill in the blank, I've got news for you. No, you're not. Others have probably struggled with some of those same things. In fact, most generations have experienced something terrible, something tragic, and something they had to overcome to move the kingdom of God forward. In fact, the climate during the Apostle Paul's time on earth was quite difficult to be a Christian. You see, Paul lived in a time where the emperor that was reigning over the area was, uh, his name was Nero, Emperor Nero. And you see, he was a guy that was kind of known for and became famous for hating Christians so much that he liked to impale them which means like a stake, like through their body, right? Like impale them and then set them on fire. (laughs) Yeah, so like your life's probably not that bad. (laughs) But it is important for us to understand that, that others have struggled with the things that we're wrestling through. Others have tread in similar waters to what we're experiencing now. Our hardships, the things we face in life, they're not unique to us necessarily. So, let's dive in. 
Verse 13, it says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after you battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. And for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Okay, so we talked about those last week. But then it goes on to say, in addition to these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on your helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So first, let's talk about this shield of faith. So the shield of faith, it protects us from the fiery arrows of the devil. Now at first glance, we tend to think of a shield as something only meant to hide behind. Something only meant to just be a defensive tool, right? I know, you know, most of the time we see, like in movies, like everybody kind of hiding behind their shield and just like, you know, kind of blocking arrows and blocking swords. And, and that's part of it. But actually, if you, if you talk to anybody that's gotten hit in the face with a shield, they would tell you it's actually quite formidable as a offensive weapon or tool as well. But its design is to protect the user and it's a tool for advancement, for moving something forward. In fact, ancient armies used to use a shield to move an army in whatever direction they felt the army needed to go to win the battle. So there's, there's different formations that they came up with. And one of them, the Greeks, came up with a formation called the Phalnix or something like that. I don't speak Greek very well. And then later, the Romans, they came up with a formation similar, but it was called the testudo, which uh, means something like the tortoise or the turtle, which those are different, by the way. <laughs> but that's what the Romans used. That was the formation. And then later, these same things were kind of adapted by the Saxons as they would advance their army. And so if you can kind of picture... An army of men holding shields. And as they're holding their shields, what they would do is they would lock their shields together and they would push forward one step at a time, advancing, advancing, advancing. But some of them would have the shield in the front guarding and pushing while others would have the shield overhead blocking from the fiery arrows of the enemy. And so this picture that Paul has given us, it's, it's a great picture here that our faith, our belief, and our trust in Jesus, it stops the enemy's arrows. Something else that was common is oftentimes there would be like a fabric or a leather over the front of the shield that, that was doused in water so that when the arrows would hit it, it would actually extinguish the arrows poof, the arrows would go out. These were very effective. But this is really important, and I don't want you to miss this. Paul is also pointing out that when we battle, when we battle, it's important that we battle together, that we lock our shields with others so that we can advance the kingdom. 
Because here's the thing about a shield. It might block some arrows if you're holding a shield all by itself, standing in a field all by itself, but you're still fairly vulnerable. But when you're standing next to your brothers and sisters in arms, locked shields, that's a force that's a little harder to stop. And we can advance the kingdom of God. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, one is community, right? We, we need the community of faith around us. It's important. God designed it that way for us to be a part of a community, a body of believer, believers. But there's also this context that our, our, our enemy is not of flesh and blood. Our enemy is unseen. And so it helps us to understand how our enemy attacks. How does, how does Satan attack us? Well, most often... He gets in our head by whispering lies to us and getting us to believe something that is not true either about ourselves, our circumstances, or about others, right? I'll give you an example from my life. So uh, in my marriage, Jenna and I have a great marriage. Um, we never fight or argue about anything ever. We're, it, it might be, in fact, a perfect marriage, um, well, not really. So a couple weeks ago, I, Jenica used my truck, and normally when we like tote a bunch of kids around, like we need to use a truck because it's got six seats and her car has five seats. And so uh, the way that we do that is the middle console that I use to put like all my stuff in has to be like folded up, right? And so Jenica used my truck. And she loaded all the kids in, and, you know, as everybody loaded in, the, the truck seat got folded up. Well, I put lots of important things in there, like in my cup holders and my little cubby things, and so I have, like, everything just exactly perfect right where I want it, right? And I'm not obsessive about it at all. Uh, so when, when they lifted the seat up, I swear that I had put my tractor key in the cup holder. And so when I went to use my tractor and I hop in my truck and I reach into my faithful cup holder, the key was not there. Ah, oh, the nerve. <laughs> so I look in the back seat. Well, maybe it flew back there. When they flipped the seat up, I'm looking everywhere and I can't find the key. And I'm like, I move from like, oh no, to frustrated, to then the enemy whispers something in my ear. She doesn't respect you. Yeah. She didn't respect your truck enough, so she doesn't respect you. So that was the lie. And now, you know, I've been married a long time, and so I kind of like fought it for a minute. I was like, no, that's probably not. But then I, like the more I thought about the key, the more frustrated I got. And then I like had a confrontation moment where I said, hey, where's my key? <laughs> I'm not perfect, okay, don't judge me. And she's just like, I, I have no idea. Like, did you check in the back seat? Like, I don't know where your key is, I'm sorry. And so I got to the point where I was like really frustrated and then this narrative kept playing, like she doesn't respect you. She doesn't respect you. She didn't care enough about you to, to put that key somewhere safe. And it just kept spinning in the back of my mind. 
And uh, to the point that I just got more and more and more worked up over this silly key. And then I like found out you can just like go and order them online. Like it's really easy and Amazon will deliver it like the next day. And so like I order my key and that evening we have this rule in our house that like we, we try really, really hard not to ever go to bed angry at each other. And so we talked it out. And we talked it out. And I just kind of shared, you know, I feel disrespected and I'm feeling, and she just spoke right to the lie that the enemy had planted there. And it's like, heck no, I respect you. I absolutely do. I care about these things. And so it, 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 it silenced the lie. But, so a couple days ago, <laughs> I was cleaning my truck. And I opened my glove compartment and lo and behold, there's my tractor key. Exactly where I put it. <laughs> and I remembered as soon as I saw it, oh yeah. <laughs> but isn't that just how so often the enemy attacks us? Right? He like plants a little seed in our mind and it wrecks our day. Because we think about it and we, we, we wrestle with it and we, we replay it over and over. Oh, I can't believe they did that. Here's another example. I, I had a pastor friend that I, I uh, work with quite a bit in our area and um, he's a friend of mine and you know, we, we get along really well and I, I needed to get a hold of him for something and I, and I called him and I couldn't get a hold of him that day. And so I left him a message and he hadn't called me back. So I called him the next day, you know, no big deal. Um, and, I, and I finally, finally get a hold of him. And he picks up the phone and he goes, hello? And I go, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And he goes, click, and he hung up the phone. I was like, what in the, what in the world? Like, why, why would he do that? That's silly, I, we're friends. So I'm like, ah, must be just some misunderstanding. So I call him again. And this time he picks up the phone and he goes, I don't want to talk. I'm not interested. Click. <laughs> the enemy, he doesn't like you. He's mad at you. I'm like, what's he mad at me for? I haven't done anything. Oh, he's so mad at you. In fact, he probably hates you. Now, I'm, I'm getting a little worked up. Why does he hate me? I can't believe he's mad at me. What's he got to be mad about? So now I start thinking of all the things that maybe he's done. Well, if he tells me he's mad about this, I'm going to tell him I'm mad about that. <laughs> you see how this works? I know you guys have been there. Later on that evening, he calls me back and he goes, man, I'm so sorry. He said, my grandson answered the phone and he's, he's like a teenager and so he's starting to sound like me, but he answered the phone and he, he thought you were a telemarketer. So he just like hung up on you. I don't even know what he said, but he just hung up. Oh. There's a scripture that tells us love always hopes. You know, it, there's this context involved in which we, we think the best of others. That our default, instead of being suspicious of others, we think the best of others. But I think so often the enemy attacks us with these little seeds, these little lies, and he gets us thinking in a spiral. 
where we start dwelling on it and we start slowly spiraling down the drain. So that's one of the ways the enemy attacks us. But not just that, but the enemy likes to kick us and attack us when we're most vulnerable. And here's the deal. And I think this is beautiful the way that Paul illustrates those arrows being flaming arrows because so many of us go through life and if we haven't put on this shield of faith to block those arrows, we go through life and we experience our life in a way where, where we're a little bit tender. We're a little bit vulnerable. Maybe we just had a bad week and the enemy's like, ooh, I can use this. Maybe we had a bad day. Maybe we had a bad moment. And here's the thing. When we wrestle through life without the shield of faith, our lives become dry like tinder, like a hay bale. And when that flaming arrow gets shot at us in that moment, it sets our whole world on fire. Think about all the moments in your life where the enemy has spoken something to you, a lie, and, and it's caused your, you to spiral in your thinking. And then somebody else came and said something to you in just the wrong moment. And the enemy shot that arrow once again and it hit you and just set the world on fire. This is how the enemy works. His lies try to get us spiraling in our thinking. If he can get us believing something about the situation that's not true, he can derail our friendships, our relationships, or our trust, and so, so much more. Even more so if he can get us believing something that is a lie about ourselves. You will never be able to do it. You're not good enough. You'll probably fail. Kent Butcher talked a couple weeks ago about those voices in our lives. And that's how the enemy works, is, is he takes these shots at us when we are most vulnerable. And it sets our world ablaze when we don't have a shield to protect us. So are you seeing the picture here? When the enemy speaks to our identity, it hurts. But when we don't understand who we are in Christ, then it sets our world on fire. But when we understand who Christ has said we are, our faith in Jesus, our hope in Jesus, we have a shield to block those arrows. And it extinguishes them on impact. So we put our faith in Jesus, our hope in Jesus, our trust in Jesus, and it protects our lives. Next we have the helmet of salvation. It says in verse 17, put on your salvation as your helmet. What does a helmet protect? Protects our noggin, as my dad would say, right? And, and what's in our heads? It, it, it's, our, it's our brain, our mind. It protects our mind. And I think this is, this is great, great picture here. Paul is talking to a group of people that their emperor 
hates because they are Christ followers and they also know that at any moment they could be hunted down, gathered up, and burned in the streets for following Jesus. That's the group he's talking to. Do you think that maybe that could be a little anxiety inducing? <laughs> a little bit, right? And that's the group he's talking to and he reminds them to guard your minds with the salvation that comes through knowing and following Jesus. Our salvation through Jesus Christ. He's reminding them, guys, they can take our lives, but they can't take our freedom, right? right? He's reminding them, they can take your life, but they cannot take your soul. They cannot take Jesus in you, away from you. Your salvation in Christ is secured. It has been bought through the blood of Jesus Christ. And no emperor, government, or person can ever take that away from you. Even if they harm your body, they can't touch your soul. Matthew 10, 28, Jesus is giving us a very sobering uh, like statement, and he says this, he says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Listen, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you have the helmet of salvation at your fingertips. The hope of Jesus, the hope of what he has done for you, the hope of what he will do in you and through you. He is our salvation. We cannot be harmed in our soul when we understand who Jesus is and we, we've given our life to him. Yes, our bodies can be hurt. But man, so often we think about this short little stretch of eternity called our life, when in the grand scheme of things, we have this eternity that stretches far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And so we spend a, a lot of time making decisions, trying to protect this little space when Jesus has given us all of this other space. So put on the helmet of salvation. Lastly, we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word for sword here is the word makaira, which we also see used in Hebrews 4, verse 12. And there's kind of an interesting connection. And so um, are you ready to put on your thinking caps for a minute? You guys ready? We're going to kind of go uh, a little bit deep. We're going to unpack some things that are a little bit hard to follow. But are you with me? All right. So we're going to go there. Okay. So, so in Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says this. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
Okay, so this word makaira is used in both places for sword. Now the word spirit used in both passages is a word pneuma, which is the same word for wind or when coupled with holy, it, it makes the Holy Spirit, right? It's the usage of the word for Holy Spirit. But the word for word in Ephesians 6, our passage about the armor of God, is the word rhema or the spoken word or command of God. But here in Hebrews, another word is used for the word word, logos. And so what we see here is that there are two Greek words commonly used for word in the New Testament, logos and rhema. Logos refers to the written word of God, like that is penned as scripture that we can read. And rhema refers to the spoken word of God as in a, a word from God or, or God speaking directly to you and I. Okay, so that's rhema versus logos. And the reason this is important is because this passage is talking about the sword of the spirit actually being God's voice within us not specifically stating his written word, okay? Now, when I was growing up, and the reason I'm pointing this out, there's a couple of reasons, we'll get to those in a minute, but one of the reasons is as I was growing up, I always was taught that the sword of the spirit is the written word of God, which is actually a misunderstanding. However, I wanna dive into that a little bit because what we see is that they actually connect together. Another reason this is important is because this passage is talking about the sword of the spirit being the voice of God within us, but it's important to understand how God actually speaks to us. Because God speaks in many different ways. For some, it's a still small voice within. For others, it's a picture or a thought that we will get in kind of our mind. And yet, most often, and this is why I bring this up, God will use a combination of his logos written word and his rhema spoken word to speak something to us. Here's how this works. When we read his logos word of God, it's as if the pages of the Bible will come alive to us as his rhema, voice spoken to us, connects with what we are reading. And so as we read God's word, we can hear God's voice through God's word, connecting both logos and rhema together. Without one, it's hard to know the other. So the sword of the spirit is meant to cut through the lies of the enemy and be deployed as a weapon of hope that sets us and others free. So how do we use the word of God? Well, I don't think it's inappropriate that we go to his logos written word because we sit down with his written word and we begin to hear his rhema word. Do you see how those connect? 
that through the pages of scripture, we begin to see who God is. And it's as we begin to unpack and see who God is, we begin to hear God's voice in other ways in our life. And he begins to speak to us with his rhema voice. The sword of the spirit is meant to cut through any lie the enemy could throw at us. You're not good enough. The Bible actually says something different. And I feel that confirmed within my spirit. You're going to just fail. The word of God says that I'm more than that. And I feel that in my spirit. Whatever the lie, whatever the lie, the sword of the spirit can cut through those lies. But Paul gives us a very clear statement here as well. In verse 12, he tells us that the sword of the spirit was never meant to be used as a weapon against others. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Your battles are not against your wife. Your battles are not against your husband. Your battles are not against your children or your parents. Your battles are not against your boss or your coworkers. Though people can wound us and harm us and be instruments in the hand of our enemy, they are not our enemy. The sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, all of the, all of the tools that God has given us, they're meant to be used and deployed against the enemy of our soul who is more sinister than, than most of us realize, but not against people. And when we understand this and we begin to unpack this, what we find is that, that people are being instruments in the enemy's hands sometimes, but we can have great compassion for people. And we can begin using the tools that God has given us to set people free by speaking life, by speaking love, by encouraging and bringing hope of salvation to every person we come into contact with. When we do this, when we partner with the tools that God has given us, we advance God's kingdom, not only in our lives, but on this earth. And that is what we are called to do as Christ followers. And so as I wrap up, I'm gonna invite our worship team to come back up. I'm going to invite you guys to stand up with me. We put on the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, and all of the other tools that God has given us. And it says that when we put on all of these things, 
we can stand strong against all of the strategies of the devil. Let me pray, and we're going to wrap up. Holy Spirit, would you come in this moment? Lord, would you bring to mind any areas in our life where we have given the enemy space to whisper lies to us? Where we have given the enemy too much room to, to affect our thinking, our emotional health, our, our um, anxiety. Lord, the, the, we, have, we have listened to the lie. Lord, I just ask that you would right now bring some of those to mind, some of those areas that we've done that, and that you would help us deploy the tools that you have given us, the hope that you have given us, that we would begin to, to stand strong against the enemy. Lord, that, that we would not just stand strong for our sake, but that we would stand strong in our lives and that you would then use our lives to begin to stand strong in the gap for others. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you heal the wounds that, that have been inflicted on our hearts by others? And that you would give us a mind of compassion towards them. A mind that would say, we see who God has created you to be. And we agree with that. Help us to speak to the lies of the enemy in our lives. And to shut them down. And to get off that crazy cycle and spiral where we entertain the lies he's put in our mind too long. Your name we pray. Amen. Well, that is it for today's message. We thank you for joining us. If you'd like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at thevinegoshen.org. We'll see you next time.